Okay, welcome back. Happy New Year. What do we got here? A sick kid. All right, good. That's good. All right, tell me more. A concerned person. A concerned person. Maybe there's a doctor there. Okay. And how do you know that? Yeah. Yeah, the look on his face, right? So about how long ago do you think this particular painting is from? Yeah, it's actually late 1800s, but that's good. Early 1900s is good. And um, the, the title of this is called The Doctor. It's by a, a Sir Luke Fields. Um, but I want you to really start paying attention to this painting as we're looking at it, because what's going to happen is the more that we look at it, the more we talk about it, the more you're going to see. So the first thing I want you to notice is that the, how would you describe the uh, wealth of this particular family? Low. And, and what would make you say that this is a, a lower income family? No bed. Yeah, the kid's not on a bed. Everything's crammed in one room. Everything's crammed in one room. Now, so th this could be crammed in one room, or what else could be happening? Isolation. Isolation, right. The child might be quarantined, right? So if you look at this particular painting, you see the child might be in a quarantine room, because this, this, this does not look like a bedroom, uh, at least not the child's bedroom. What is the child sleeping on? Child sleeping on chairs, right? And what's on the chairs pillows. is pillows. So that even more makes me suggest or think that the child might uh, be in a very low-income uh, family and also might be quarantined as well because they don't even want them on a bed, right? Because remember, beds back then we don't like you know make take the sheets off and put them in the laundry machine like they did like we do now. This is the 1800s. They're not doing it you know back then. So, um, and let's look at this. This is something I, I really want you to work on uh, because this is, this is probably going to be the crux of the whole course if you can get what I'm saying here. Um, how many people are in this painting? There are three people in the painting. Are there three people in the painting? How many people are there in this painting? All right. So, what three do you see? The one in the back, right? The child. the child and the doctor. Okay, good, good. And that's what most people see when they first look at this painting. This is not an optical illusion, right? There's another person in this painting. So here's the doctor. The doctor's looking very concerned at the child who's quite sick. Who is this? That's the dad. That's the dad. Who is the dad next to? Right over here. Look very carefully right over here. What, what, is, what is the dad doing right over here? What is this part of the dad? Hand. That's his hand. And who is his hand on? Mother. The mom. Can you all see that? This is, there's a mother over here, right? There's a mother over here. She's wearing some kind of a dress. She's got a little bit of a headband on. But what is she doing? Well, she's laying down or what? She's crying. She's praying. She's very upset, right? She's, she's got her head down on the, on the desk or table, whatever, like this, um, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with her poor daughter over here. So, now that's, why is that so important? Why is it so important that you have to see this fourth person in this? 
Right, the status of the family is the first thing, but I, I, I'm not even thinking about in this particular painting, why is this so important? It is important because as a pediatric chiropractor, you're not gonna get all the clues. They're not just gonna hand it to you on a silver platter like an adult with back, my back hurts here, and it started when I fell down when I was skiing, and when I was a kid, I was in a car accident. You're not gonna get all this kind of stuff. You're gonna get some mom bringing a kid, like I don't know what's going on with it, he's crying. The baby's crying all the time. I don't know what's happening. You do something, right? That's why I love being a pediatric chiropractor. To me, it is just as exciting as we have several patients who are veterinarians because a veterinarian, the dog owner or the cat owner comes in with a, the, and says, he's throwing up, fix him, right? And, and now the vet has to figure this out. Well, it's the same thing with being a pediatric chiropractor, right? You gotta take this a lot more seriously being a pediatric chiropractor because you're gonna have people come in with issues and you have to figure out what's going on. You have, to, you have to look a lot more carefully. So, and not that you did this wrong or anything, but most of you guys, when you looked at this, you're saying, okay, I, just, I see three and you're not going any deeper. But the thing is, you have to, right? The thing is that you have to. You have to look deeper. You have to look closer. You have to look more carefully, right? You need to build your visual and your auditory diagnostic skills because people aren't just going to tell you what's going on. You're gonna to have to pull it out of them. Especially the more you delve into pediatrics, the more it's gonna to have to be like pulling teeth because it's, it's not the obvious stuff. Sometimes people will either A, not tell you anything because they wanna kinda of test you, or B, they're in denial and they're, they don't want to talk about the problem. They don't wanna talk about how their kid isn't talking. Right? We had a kid come in a couple weeks ago. The kid didn't say a word the entire exam. And finally, the kid's two years old. And finally, I said to the mom, how many, because I'm looking, she said, you know, on the milestone chart, it said everything's normal and speaking, whatever. I said, I haven't heard the child talk at all. Well, he doesn't talk much. I said, what do you mean doesn't talk much? Well, he just says a couple words. I said, well, what words does he say? Because I haven't heard any. And then she gets all, now all of a sudden the concern starts and the tears start coming down. Well, you know, we've been talking about this, but we're trying to avoid, you know, the conversation. I'm like, no, 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 no. This isn't about avoiding. This is about facing, right? We got to face what's going on. Because if you don't face it now, there's more catastrophe happening later on, right? You don't just say, well, I'll put out the fire later, right? You put out the fire when it's a little smoldering thing, it's most smoldering thing, not when it's this huge burning, you know, thing. So there's four people in this picture. So let me ask you this, what is wrong with this girl? What do you think is wrong? This is 1891. What do you think is wrong with her? All right, does she have a little cold? Is it just a little bug? No, this is something pretty significant, right? Because back in the 1890s, you're not gonna have Dr. So-and-so come out and visit your house just because the kid's a little sick, right? But back in those days, if there was a little issue, you would figure it out on your own, right? You'd give the kid some tea and you know, maybe some herbs or whatever and figure it out on your own. So if you're gonna actually have the doctor come out to the house, something's pretty big. In 18, the 1890s, early 1900s, what is the number one killer in the world? Number one? Not much of a killer now, but it was number one back then. Tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. Back then they used to call it consumption. But tuberculosis is what this is. So highly likely that's what this is, right? Now I don't know, I know I'm, I, I'm, I, I, you can't read, you know, you can read about this painting, but, but you don't know just looking. But just judging from the time period, most likely, this is a kid with tuberculosis or consumption. Most likely. 
How do you know she's really sick? Well, she's not awake. Okay, that's a that's a good indication. Yeah, the face of the doctor shows a lot of seriousness, right? He looks he looks you know concerned with his hand you know by his chin and stuff. Absolutely. So all those things. Yes, her hand is off to the side. Now, what's I think there's a really important clue we have to look at this here. And what's beneath her hand on the floor? What is this? No, this was a handkerchief, right? This is a handkerchief. So she was probably holding a handkerchief to wipe her nose or to you know, kind of cover her coughs or whatever. And then she, she fell asleep and she's, or passed out, and she's so out of it that she let go of the handkerchief, right? So that shows how weak she is because she's, she can't even hold on to the handkerchief when she's, when she's sleeping, right? So then, now the question then becomes, is there any sign of hope in this painting? Because I think the, the, the painter actually gave us a little bit of hope in this painting, but you have to kind of read between the lines. What is that? Can you tell? Because we're painting a grim picture here so far, but there's one thing that'll kind of give us a little bit of hope, and what is that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Maybe the father, maybe the father, he doesn't look as, as upset, certainly, as the mother uh, does. <coughs> but there's another, there's another visual clue. That more light has come up. Very good, the light, the light. You see how, how the light is, now I can't tell if this is a candle or it's kerosene lamp or something like that. It's not electricity. But you can see the light is coming like this, and you, know, you can look at that in several ways, based upon how you want to look at it. But I'm an optimist. So I look at this that, oh, the kid's going to pull through because the light's shining on the kid and he's, or she, I mean, she's going to get better, right? So see how much you can get out of this one painting? And we can talk about this painting for probably like an hour more and really keep on getting more and more and more clues as to what's going on, where this is in the world, you know, how uh, old the people are, etc. But that's what, I, what, what we need to do when we look at these kind of things is the same thing when we look at a child, is we need to come up with stuff in a very small period of time to figure out all the questions that you need to ask, to figure out what you need to, to determine, like what's going on with this kid, right? And that's why I like showing you know, these kind of paintings uh, before this particular class. Now I'm gonna show you another painting. This one you might be a little more familiar with. What painting is this from? Anybody know? This is from the Sistine Chapel. That's right. Who painted this? This is Michelangelo, right? This is Michelangelo. Uh, one of my favorite uh, parts of uh, the Sistine Chapel series of paintings that he had. I just want you to look at this, and I, I know there's a lot of religious implications uh, that we can talk about this, but we're going to kind of not talk about the more religious things about this particular thing with, with uh, Adam and, and God over here. But what is, what is God sitting in? What is this here? That's the brain. That's the brain. Do, do you realize that Michelangelo uh, and da Vinci and some of his other people who were uh, favored by the Medici's when they were in Florence, do you realize that um, Michelangelo is one of the few people allowed to dissect bodies? Right? So he actually knew what the brain looked like. So if you actually look at this 
very closely, you can see that you know, here's the cortex and here's like the pons, the medulla over here. So there was actually a very important you know, thought process about, you know, about what that could or couldn't mean. But one of my favorite parts about this whole painting is right here, right here, where the hand of God is reaching out to the hand of Adam. Now, what is, what is so powerful about this? What is, why is that such a, a powerful emblem? Yes, very good, right? We're in a chiropractic school, so we have to think about that. This is the power of touch, right? Because Adam, even though he's got a pretty strong, supple, you know, muscular body, does he look like a strong dude at this particular moment? No, he looks what? He looks kind of weak and tired, right? So what this is, once again, trying to remove the religious implications about this, what this is, I feel like this is kind of like what we do. This is what we do, is we as chiropractors, right, are able to, to put our hands on people and we're able to change them, right? I see, what we had a, a little boy come in recently, this little kid who's nine weeks old and having all kinds of problems, you know, nursing and, and colic and reflux and all these kind of things. And in one adjustment, one adjustment, the kid stopped crying in my office. Like, talk about the power of this to this, right? And before I touched him, it wasn't like that. I touched him. I put my hands on his atlas, hands on his cranium, did a little bit of all this kind of work, and the kid stopped crying. Right? That's the power of what we have, right? And that's what I want you to think about when we look at this kind of thing. Here is the power, that, the power that's, that's behind this, right? And the way I look at it is that here's the brain, right? Here's the brain, and then here's the, the, the spinal cord like this, and we have to connect these two pieces right here, right? The whole, like Dr. Robert Melillo, one of my uh, heroes and mentors in chiropractic, you know, talks about the whole point, though, the, the problem with these kids that we see today is they're disconnected, right? And we have to reconnect them. Our job is to reconnect them, right? It's, and that touch is what reconnects, right? You go to most medical doctors, you go to most places, uh, you know, most pediatricians, they don't touch their kids, you know, they look at lab tests and they look at, the, at the, the temperature and they look at the blood pressure and they look at blood tests and that's how they come up with a diagnosis. They don't touch the kid, right? We touch them, right? And that's what puts us in a very unique perspective is, is to touch them. Now, just to show you something, just for perspective's sake, I just want to show you this here. This is the Sistine Chapel. So my wife and I were lucky to go there last year on a private tour with just like 20 of us. And you can see here, this, there is that one painting, right? Michelangelo did all this, right? But here is that one painting right here on that fresco, like a hundred and some odd feet high in the air. Just to give you an idea of how big what he did is, right? It's just unbelievable, the amount, the kind of work that Michelangelo, you know, did to, to create this, to have all these different scenes you know, in here. And boy, did he need a chiropractor because uh, what the guide who, who was there who was talking about the Sistine Chapel, he said that Michelangelo did not, in fact, lie down on a scaffold to paint this. He stood up like this the whole time. So he was standing on a scaffold to paint the entire time. He wasn't lying down, you know, on like a mattress or something. He was actually standing. So imagine what kind of a neck he must have had after doing all this that kind of stuff. So I want to show you this because the whole thing is about perspective. Right? The, the, whole, the, the point of this particular course, this quarter, is about perspective. 
Like some of you have taken some of the other uh, classes I, I teach, the, the diagnosis classes and the technique classes and stuff. But this class is really about perspective, right? It's really about perspective. It's about if, if, you're, if you're thinking about going out into practice and becoming a pediatric chiropractor or even a sports chiropractor or a geriatric or, or a, whatever kind of specialist kind of thing you have to do. Because to me, the, the best thing to do is become a niche specialist, right? You really want to succeed today, you have to niche specialize in, in whatever specialty you want to you know, go into. But if you want to specialize, then you better get perspective. And the, the key to a successful niche practitioner, whether they're in pediatrics or sports or whatever they do, whether they're in law or medicine, dentistry, doesn't really matter, is that they can do things really, really quickly, right? They can synthesize a lot of information, a lot of different pieces, and put it together really, really quickly. And that is something that's super important for you to understand and that what we're going to talk about this quarter. And what I'm going to do in the beginning, uh, in the first part of this uh, um, this quarter is I'm going to teach you something uh, that I mentioned before called visual diagnostic skills. I want to improve your visual diagnostic skills. So every week what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you some paintings, two paintings, and we're going to pull paintings, we're going to pull some of these paintings apart and we're going to get information out of these paintings. And why is that important? Because I did a study a number of years ago called The Use of Fine Arts to Improve Visual Diagnostic Skills in Chiropractic Education. What I did is I took this class and I took my advanced diagnosis class and I put them against each other. And in this particular class, for six weeks, I showed you guys paintings before every class. And then what I did before this is I showed both classes, the diagnosis class and this class, I showed you guys kids who are sick, like you can see over here, I showed them kids who are sick with like chicken pox and measles and, and fifth disease, et cetera. And I said, what's wrong with these kids? Right? So I did that first. The first thing, you guys came in, there was, the room got dark, and there was a test in front of you. What's wrong with these kids? And when there was five or six different kids' pictures, and you had to figure out what's going on. Uh, in the first class, both the diagnosis class and this pediatric health challenges class, everybody failed. Everybody failed. Nobody got, almost nobody got anything right. But then I showed this particular class paintings for six weeks. And then I gave you guys tests again. Right? So I tested this class and the diagnosis class. Guess what happened? This class got 85%. The diagnosis class failed still. Because they did not improve in their visual diagnostic skills. Now, how did I get this idea? I got this idea because I read an article out of Yale University. This is what they do at Yale University first year medical school. Is they, uh, as you know, most of the major Ivy Leagues have art museums on their campuses. So what the first year med students do at Yale University is they go to the art museum once a week, every week for two hours during their first semester. And they talk about paintings <clears throat> and learn about like what's going on in the painting and the, the different ideas and the, you know, what's really happening and etc. to get all these details out of that. And it has improved them so much that this, this started like about 10 years ago that now all the Ivy Leagues do that. So Harvard and Yale and Princeton and all those the Ivy Leagues are now doing this. So I said, hey, Life University should do this too, right? Because I want to improve our students' diagnostic skills as well. 
So that's why I'm doing what we're doing, because I want to make sure that students who are in my class have the best possible diagnostic skills. And um, so I, I, what I'm going to ask you guys to do is I'm going to ask you guys to, if you have any um, suggestions of paintings that you'd like to see me use, please let me know because I like to use them. If you have some interesting, some really cool paintings that you think would help us like that, that aren't totally obvious of what it is and we have to kind of look at it and sort of pull stuff out of it, I think that'd be really fabulous. I really would love to see that. 